0: This is Karen Hunter and welcome to The Hub. Before Donald Trump was elected president of the United States of America, he hosted a a show called The Apprentice. It started out as a show pitting future business people against one another in competition and the prize would be to work in the Trump Organization. In 2005, the first black man actually won, Apprentice, and Donald Trump had the audacity to ask him to split his championship with someone inferior to him. The response you'll hear in this interview with Dr. Randall Pinkett coming up next, but it also shows the character and dis- disrespect and racism that Donald Trump imbues. And Randall Pinkett and I talk about that. And this was before, this interview is before Donald Trump actually won. Uh, But it also, to me, when I was talking to him, I was hoping people would hear this and it would inform their decision. It didn't work. But we're coming back up on another election. And I think people need to share this podcast with as many people as they possibly can and get the message out not just because of what Randall Pinkett says about Donald Trump, but because Randall Pinkett is an example of the true American dream, someone who has built himself up from absolutely nothing, not an entitled person who started on third base and thought that he hit a, a triple. He's not a person who ran a company into bankruptcy six times. He's not a person that's so delusional about his largesse that he surrounds himself with people that never hold him accountable. Randall Pinkett is the American dream and he has hoped that all of us can reach the pinnacles in our lives if we have vision and we work hard. So in this interview, which also talks about the horrors of a Donald Trump. We also talk about the hope of someone like a Randall Pinkett. So I hope you enjoy, but also please share with 10 people that you know that don't know me. All right. I appreciate your support. Follow me on Twitter at Karen Hunter, K-A-R-E-N-H-U-N-T-E-R. Up next, my interview with Dr. Randall Pinkett. I've been trying to get this man on the show since August, since my, since my inaugural run. And he's so damn busy uh, because he's r- ruling the world. And, and, and so many different ways. I first saw him on The Apprentice, which I started boycotting after he won. He was the first African-American to win The Apprentice because even in his victory, it just seemed to be tainted with racism because it was like a co-win. How do you do a co-win? How, how do you have two people win when the brother was clearly the, anyway. Let me welcome to the show before I get too uh, frothy at the mouth. Let me welcome Dr. Randall Pinkett. Thank you for being here.
1: Hey, Karen Hunter. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. It's long overdue. Yes. And I'm trying to be as busy as you. That's why I'm oh, so man. busy. No,
0: you, I got to catch up with you. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: you are the CEO and co-founder of BTC Partners. BCT. B-T- BCT. You got it. Burt Cat Tom. Okay. BCT I must have dyslexia because I can't write well uh, I actually write really well I just I, I know you transpose do. the letters I know you do BCT partners, which is a tech company that's right what is it specializing?
1: So we are specializing in technology consulting but we're actually now building up a growing practice around what folks today call big data data analytics. you know we live in a world where we generate lots of data our phones generate data you go to the doctor you generate data you go to the grocery store you're generating data how do you make sense of all that data? I mean, how do you predict consumer behavior? So it's
0: like Google Analytics?
1: Something along those lines, exactly. But Google Analytics is analyzing web data, web traffic to your website. So think about what that could do for a corporation that is trying to target certain consumers or for a manufacturer trying to analyze trends in the marketplace. And so we're building a whole practice around data analytics and applying the principles of data analytics to industry.
0: How do you make money doing that? You know, when, when, when I listen to people with their businesses that I have no clue what the hell they do or how it works, I'm always thinking, because, you know, for me, my dad ran a grocery store, right. you know, in Newark. So I understood that. You sell something, you get money, you come home, you reconcile your books, you go put the, all that cash in the bank. It was a beautiful thing. But th- this is so amorphous, you know. It's like data, well, it's not that amorphous. I mean,
1: think about just the grocery store as a simple example. When you go to the grocery store and you have one of those those cards that gives you the discount and you swipe it before you make your payment, they're gathering tons of data on your purchases, which means that they can now look at what you buy, when you buy it, seasonally, personally, and they can target you with coupons, promotions. That's what I'm getting at, They can the also predict what you're going to want and therefore stock the shelves with that item without you knowing they put it there just to wait for you. So rather than basing my inventory on what I think people need, I've got the data to say I know exactly what they need, when they need it, so I can now optimize my supply chain, my orders, my marketing, my fulfillment, my coupons, my promotions, and and it just extracts more value from each customer once you can predict what their behavior is.
0: So if I had a company and I I, I hired you, you would would suggest that I get a special discount code or a card you know, like I go to Panera's, for example, and they give me a little card, and I get a free soup, yeah, whatever, every right. fifth purchase. Or Starbucks, they give right. you a free uh, after your tenth purchase. What they're actually really doing is, exactly. uh, look, you got excited. Yeah, exactly. Uh, look, yeah, exactly, look, look at you. A, it's look. a bait and switch. They, I they, didn't know. I thought I was getting a free soup. <laughs> see, but they, see, but the
1: the, the the what they what they lost in giving you the free soup, they gained by knowing that next month. I'm if I send it. you a coupon for buy one, get one free I'm on using the suit, it. you're going to use it, exactly. So, it's oh, it, such it, a it, sucker. No, but this, But let's be clear. There's ways of getting data nowadays without having the swipe card. I mean, you can gather data on the Internet. You can gather data from third parties. There's lots of ways to get data, but certainly the swipe card is one way folk get data.
0: All right, so you with tech, you got an engineering degree. Uh, You you got a bunch of degrees, actually. You're a Rhodes Scholar, first Rhodes Scholar ever to come out of Rutgers. Yes. Right? Uh academic and you're an athlete right and I mean valedictorian uh summa cum laude I'm looking at I'm looking at this man's Thank bio you, and I'm <laughs> like huh you, you old lordy and a whole bunch of lordies on your on your resume and I'm 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 wondering like you you did you grow up in Philly or you grew up in Jersey Born South in Jersey Philly, raised in New Jersey raised in New Jersey yeah. what was going on in your home that propelled you Randall D. Pinkett to become this, you know, academic, this academic, (laughs) you know, you know how to say that. I I stumbled over those words, but how, how, what, what were they doing to you in your home?
1: Right. So (laughs) so my, my my father had a background in, in math and science. So there was a foundation already in the home. Uh, But just because you had the foundation doesn't mean that that ends up being the path that you pursue. So when I was a child, my brother and I, we desperately wanted a video game. Like, every kid wanted a video game. and I'm going to date myself. Back then, it was Atari that we wanted, right?
0: Was it Pong? You that? Yeah, oh, you did? Yeah, yeah, no. Pong, okay. Space Invaders. Oh yeah, yeah, oh. yeah,
1: Missile Command. Yes, yeah. okay. We so taking it back. Yeah, there you yeah. go. That's Shh. the old school. Don't there. Do <laughs> you hush your mouth? And so we said, we, we want we a video game. And so we, we came down Christmas Day and we saw this big box under the tree. My brother and we swore it was Atari. And so we ripped the paper open first, pushed every other gift aside, and we opened the box. And we were like, "What in the world is this?" They're Like we got you a computer.
0: We were like, who in the world asked for a We were real in Was grace. it Apple? It was a Commodore. Oh, my gosh. One with the big booty in the back? <laughs> uh,
1: that? Yes, I yes. remember that. The people who are listening who are old enough, you, you got to be 40 or above to get this. The Commodore was one of the front runners of what we call the personal computer. And so my parents had the vision to say, and this is, a, this is a, almost a direct quote. They said, if you want to play the video game, you have to make the video game. What? And we were like, really? Like, is it that serious? What's wrong with these people? Right? But you asked the question. What happened happened was they said, we don't want you to be a consumer of technology. Pointing and clicking and downloading and just pushing buttons. We want you to be a producer of technology. So if you want to play the game, you make it. And to make a long story short, it gathered dust for months and then eventually my brother and I popped it open. We learned how to code. We got really geeky on that thing and started making our own video games in middle school. And now today I run a technology company that build software and, and it's databases. It's like a billion dollar freaking yeah, company. Yeah, so, yeah no, so, so, you, so it wasn't an accident.
0: Smoop, listen, I wonder, because you, you you, also deal with diversity or oh, you got a book out, which, uh, yeah. which if you give me a copy of it, I'll give it away on a Tuesday, but it's called Black Faces in White Places, right? Yes. And we've talked yesterday because, you know, Yanla was trying to fix Debbie, uh, Debbie, whatever her name is, Debbie Turner, Debbie, this figure skater. Yes, Debbie Thomas. Debbie Thomas. There you they, go. Tried to fix her life. Somebody, high achiever, a doctor, medical doctor, Stanford you know, grad, Stanford grad, engineer, Olim- Olympic bronze medalist. Yeah, yeah, first, first ever to, first black to ever medal in the Winter Games. That's right. A hot mess right now, and I said some of that God has to do you. with, yeah, God bless her for real. Uh, to to do with being always the person in a space. Where no one looks like you, that's right, and where your psyche is constantly assaulted, and you're always questioning your very being because yes. people don't embrace you the way they should when you're the only one. So when you talk about black faces in white places, and I talked a little bit about The Apprentice because I only watched that season because you were you were on there. to be honest with you, I appreciate you. Uh, because it's, it's tough, you know, being the beca- only one. This before it became Celebrity Apprentice, but they right. were it was real, right? Mm-hmm. where they had real people, and you were fierce. And so every week I'm like, this brother's gonna win. And you get to the end, and it's like a cold win. And your speech made me even more. I'm like, if I don't get to meet this man before the end of the world, I don't know what I'm gonna do. But your speech was, who you know, like it. It just kind of dropped the mic on Donald Trump in a way that I had never heard anyone challenge him. And he looked stupid, more stupid than he's ever looked. <laughs> So, so walk me through that.
1: So for those listening that didn't see my finale, The Apprentice, uh, it's a reality show, 18 candidates compete on two teams. The winning team gets a prize, losing team goes to the boardroom, somebody gets fired, get down to the final two, Lincoln Center, live television, Randall, you're hired as The Apprentice. I'm celebrating, I'm high-fiving the cast, I'm doing the, the, the chest bump. Trump calls me back and says, Randall, what do you think about sharing the title with the runner-up? And I had the same look (laughs) on my face that you have on your face. And that was 10 years ago, almost to today. And let's be clear. First of all, I was the only person of color to win on the show ever. There were seven seasons, six whites, and Randall. Second, I had an undefeated record as a project manager. I had a winning record on my team of seven and four. My adversary had a losing record on her team and a losing record as a project manager. And here's the kicker, Karen. Final task, charity fundraiser, I raised 15 grand in one day, my opponent raised zero dollars that day. No shred of justification for her being the winner, much less the co-winner, so I was insulted in that moment. I'm insulted today, right?
0: Yeah. No, Me too. I was ready to swing.
1: There you go. Like, so I said to Trump, what you saw me say, which was, if there's going to be a winner tonight, it's only going to be one, and it's going to be me. And this is not the apprentice. This right. is the apprentice. Yes. that's what you, you went Latin <laughs> on him. You took it to the Latin. I said, oh, he did the Latin. Yes. And then I dropped the mic. And, yes. and I ended up being the sole winner. Yes. But, but again, to the black faces and white places conversation. Alfred Edmund from Black Enterprise magazine wrote a great yes, piece the next him. day. Alfred said, "What happened to Randall happens to millions of people of color every day in corporate America. He just had 15 million people see it happen, and that's real. No, that is real. I
0: and I know it's real. You know, and it's that you know, twice as good to be considered for, equal. For ha- not even equal <laughs> to be not half. Even, yeah, to half, be half, half. Half. Right. And and it's it's all in a, a constantly." fighting through images and perceptions and yes. having to explain yourself and having to to even not be yourself. The masks yes. that we wear, that I refuse to wear. You know, Thank God I'm at a place where I don't have to. But it does something to your innards. Right. At some point, it yes. does something to your innards in a way that's not healthy.
1: And the reason my co-author, Dr. Jeffrey Robinson, and I wrote the book, Black Faces in White Places, was because we wanted to give folk of color a blueprint for how do you navigate these environments where we are still underrepresented And we are still subjected to stereotypes and discrimination and all kinds of craziness trying to hold us back. How do you navigate those environments and not lose a sense of who you are still be able to look in the mirror and be proud of who you are? And the biggest lesson we learned from the dozens of interviews we conducted with people like you and others who are accomplished in their industry is you got two choices. You can either maintain an identity of who you are and navigate and then be proud because if you don't if you give up something of yourself no matter what success you achieve it, it will not matter. be worth it, it that be I know
0: because you're on unap- and I say I'm unapologetically black and and I don't even have to think about it right. you know like I refuse to be anything but who I am in any place that I am because I recognize the the cost to do the cost that. There you there's go. a cost it's a but, cost and and you know what there's a respect that comes when you do walk into a place and you're yourself that we don't we, because we're told like we had a call yesterday who was told well you if you go to a white school you'll be accepted more so she went to white school and like lost lost her sense of self there you go. and then still doesn't have a job there you go so, so it's like if you're going to compromise don't compromise yourself that's you the go. only thing you have
1: That's the only thing you have you're right do not compromise yourself and we wrote the book based on these 10 strategies and strategy number one is establish a strong identity and purpose Identity speaks to who you are. Purpose speaks to where you're going. Think of identity like your anchor; it's what grounds you. Purpose is your compass; it's what guides you. If you don't know who you are and where you're going, when you go into an environment where you're underrepresented, the proclivity is think I gotta be like them. Yeah, I gotta be something to other be than successful. who I am. Yep. And that's quite the contrary. No, see who you are as your greatest asset, as your to put it in business speak, your competitive advantage that, that Karen Hunter brings to the table what nobody else can bring. So don't give that up because that's the That's the value that you potentially bring everywhere you go.
0: I'm a disruptor. So here, what I do, now they gave me a desk upstairs, so I gather around black people just because, you know, when there's two or more of us, they get nervous.
1: Right, NAACP meeting.
0: Yeah, and (laughs) it's so funny, though, the reaction, though. People walk by, like, yeah, like, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, we're we're plotting to take over the place. Come on, there's another black person, I bring them over. Yes. And I'm, like, purposely doing... But the black people are uncomfortable. They, like, they get very... The (laughs) others upstairs are like...
1: What is she doing? I don't want to stand here with you because <laughs> I'm gonna get in trouble. <laughs> they
0: gonna get me. But I I just think you know we gotta poke the finger in the eye of this and, and challenge the status quo of what they think about us. And the only way to do that is to be bold in it. That's exactly right. So so 8255 That's the number we're talking with Doctor. And I gotta give him that Randall Pinkett because he earned you got four four degrees. Four, five, oh, five, five. Sorry, I apologize. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I to, t- 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 why? Why do you have five degrees rather than Why? <laughs> why so many?
1: Hey, so so, so that so that I could be <laughs> overqualified for any job.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Damn. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So let me let me let me walk through it. So the first one had to be a BA or BS, BS, BS in, electrical from, engineering, Rutgers. From Rutgers, and then you got your master's, masters of computer of science, Oxford. Okay, because so so the Rose Rhodes go. scholar, Rhodes scholar. Okay, and then
1: master's in electrical engineering, MIT. MIT. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, come on, number four. <laughs> and then
1: an MBA from MIT. Okay. And then a PhD from MIT. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm just, I'm, I want that to just sit in the universe. Let, let that just marinate yeah, digest, out there yes, in, in the XM
1: just, series radio yes, world. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because, let it stir. Be,
0: Because that's stamina, that's drive, that's all of these things. So, so let me ask you, um, first of all, your parents are incredible. But what happens when Amen. you don't have incredible parents? Because that's an incredible thing that they made you and your brother uh, pick up a computer and learn how to I mean that's incredible yeah and, and you we're talking about that. middle school age kids, boys at that yeah incredible which which makes sense when I see your what you what you're able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. What happens when you don't have incredible parents?
1: Well let's flip the question on its head and say what do we do in light of the fact that there are kids out there who don't have that parent in their life? Five years ago my wife and I got certified as foster parents because we wanted to make a difference in the lives of young people in a way that was more meaningful than just say mentoring or Love you. you know being a role model. And so we've taken in, and we specifically took in black boys because they're often the hardest to place in foster care. And so we've had two foster sons for the past five years who we've br- welcomed into our home, who we've mentored, who we've been able to be parents to. And that to me is a model for what we can do recognizing that no not everybody had the parent that told them to make the video game but we can be that parent to some other young person and we have to really believe and own and internalize the idea that we are all part of a village and that it's not just about our kids it's about all
0: of our kids i say it every day these are our babies these mm-hmm. are our babies That's if right. you didn't give birth to them it doesn't matter they're yours. they're yours and if we don't have ownership in that um ideology that these kids they don't just represent us they are us yeah and their success really depends on us. Then we're lost. We're, we just might as well just give it up, put the white flag out, and just uh. call it a day. So I'm incredibly impressed by by what you're doing. And the the challenges of doing that, though. So you you're what age are the kids that you have coming into your home?
1: When we took them in, they were 15. And oh, so
0: they're not even. And 11. Already in already s- almost a little set.
1: Almost a little set. So uh, how
0: do you un unprogram Because well, that's well, a programming. Well,
1: I'll tell you a great story for our oldest. Uh, there was a, a night when my wife and I were just going back and forth with him on, 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 on grades and school and hard work and the like. And I remember that night he said to us, he said, nobody's ever expected that from me. And that was a really powerful moment. I mean, we responded to say, well, we're setting the expectation now. Like we're expecting more from you. We're expecting better from you. We're expecting work from you. And we, when he came to our home, he was getting C's and D's in school. Last semester, last marking period of high school, first time in his life, honor roll. What? He's a third-year student in college right now.
0: Right. This I know. Right. Th- what you what hey. you what you're saying right now. I know. Like for a lot of people, they look at our kids and they see hopelessness and they That's see right. they there's see nothing deficits. we can do. You know, we see, uh, you know, teachers in school being abused by kids. And I've said on these airways, that would never happen in my classroom. I know that at the core of my being because I don't play that. Right. And it's not even that I'm going to hem them up or beat them or anything. It's just you just know what it is that you when you look yeah. in a child's eye, what you can do right. for that child when, when it when it comes that's from right. a sincere place. That's right. So And it doesn't take all day and it doesn't take many years. It just takes the, cons- they just want somebody to care about them to and love them, love them.
1: And to be consistent in their lives that is there through thick and thicker that is committed. <laughs> thicker and thicker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won't even say thick and thin because yeah, the kids is yeah. thick and thicker. thicker. He's, yeah. He's <laughs> yeah, That's right. That's right. But you make a great point which is, those, these are things we take for granted when we have access to our parents. When we grow up in environments that where people love us. But, Having been a foster parent, because we've brought other children in for what's called respite care, where a foster child needs a break, uh, the family needs a break, so the child goes to another home temporarily. So I've had foster kids for temporary periods. So of time. So other
0: foster homes needed a break from that kid? Maybe
1: it, because they had to travel for a for oh, vacation okay, and couldn't okay. take a child with them. Okay. There's a bunch of reasons why. Um, but I've had varying experiences with varying kids, and there's anything I've learned is that the, 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 having somebody in their life that's consistently there Uh, that they can depend on. It it removes so many barriers to child development when you can take for granted that somebody is there that just loves you and cares for you. Uh,
0: You get no argument here. And by the way, you can follow Dr. Randall Pinkett on Twitter at Randall with one L, Pinkett with two Ts.
1: Yes. But let me just be clear. I did not even know what foster parenting was. My brother became a foster parent uh, because he saw a friend of ours on a coincidentally who was picking up her foster child and taking her home that inspired him to, to look into it convince his wife and then seeing him raise who is now my nephew as a foster child who he adopted inspired me and my wife to say if they can do it why can't we do it and there's not enough people who even know that the options out there that you can take
0: kids into your home that need a home. It. My dad was a social worker, uh, and he, so he. You know. Was, yeah. No, and he would bring home kids by not because he was supposed to, but just <sighs> because he was so sad by the conditions that they were in. Yeah. I know he could have gotten in trouble, but he didn't care. But I, you know, so so I'm raising a home where that this is, you know, part it's of it's the, the mantra. But you 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 realize that there's so many kids that and he talked about this just languishing in youth youth group homes and in these, and they're usually black boys who have nobody that wants them. That's right. And I don't know what's worse in in this life to have nobody who, to have nobody love you that, you know, there's not a single person that, you know, that loves you Mm -hmm. unconditionally. What does that do to a human being?
1: You know, it, 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 it has a lasting effect. You know, uh, the, uh, child psychologists and the child development experts would tell you that, uh, Traumatic experiences in your youth uh, affect your development. Um, that it can delay your development or it can stunt your development. And there's a lot of work around this. You know, they say that most human development occurs between zero and five, which is stunning when people hear this. And if you see the graphs of like development over time, and you see this, this, this. Uh, very steep curve from zero to five that levels off after five, you just think to yourself, my goodness. And so when you don't have the love, you don't have the nurturing environment, when you don't have the protection that a parent or a family is supposed to provide, you end up being exposed to what can be potentially uh, adverse conditions adverse effects so neglect is an adverse event you know abuse is an adverse event not being loved is an adverse event and that ends up having an effect on your overall development it can lead down the road to behavioral issues it can lead down the road to uh deficiencies in terms of your ability to learn executive function a whole host of things i'm not an expert in this but i've learned enough having been trained as a foster parent that it's that it's real And and i've seen children come into my home uh who have again, because there's no good reason to end up in foster care, there's no no good reason, who have been subjected to a range of different adverse effects, I can just say that there's no greater gift you could give to that child than to bring them into an environment where they can take that love and take that protection for granted. You know, one of the reasons we, we wrote Black Faces in White Places was because we wanted to talk about these issues of identity because one of the things that prevents folk of color from going into technology is this perception that it's not a part of or our us, culture. It's right. not of us, right? So it's identity is defining both what you are and what you're not. So if you say, look, I'm you know, my, my culture is not math, it's not science, that's white. That's other or it's nerdy it's not cool that so i don't want to be tech. to be tech is to be something other than what i want to be that's a tremendous psychological barrier to entering into tech so what we're trying to do is we're trying to change the face of tech to say you can be cool and be tech in fact if you want to be paid you better be tech because last time i checked the that's people right. on the list of billionaires there's a whole lot of tech on the list so we gotta tell our young people that hey you know if you see you know to say that i'm a, I'm a programmer i'm a coder i'm an engineer i'm a scientist that that is part of our culture it's part of our history and you are simply a continuation of that legacy. This is not new. We've been there, done that, got the t-shirt,
0: designed a t-shirt, and made money what? on the t-shirt. And charge $50 for the t-shirt. There you go. That's what we do. Randall go. Pinkett, you are a pleasure <laughs> and a blessing, and I'm so grateful that you're here. Will you come back? I Luke? will come back. Okay, you, you promise. Got you, you, I okay, promise. You put his hands up, hands to God. Because you make tech sexy. i just let you know. Y'all uh, don't know this, but the d- 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 man is sexy on top of everything <laughs> else. Yes. Hey, cuz. Uh Randall Pinkett, Dr. Randall Pinkett. Thank Karen you so under. much. Thank you, my sister, for having me on the show.
1: God bless you.